Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Thank you, Tim. Good morning, everyone. I'm preaching a sermon this morning that I preached in the church I served in New Jersey back in the first or second week of June. It's in a series of sermons in the Gospel of Mark. Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. We're going to be talking about the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 this morning. And the title of my sermon is Your Wilderness Shepherd. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's word, Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. This is the eternal and errant word of God. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. They went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give, them to, give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, They said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Let us pray. Lord God, your word has been read. I pray now that the words of your servant's mouth and the thoughts, the questions, the reflections, and even the desires of each one's heart would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a great story, the feeding of the 5,000, the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. But it's not just a story for children. It's not just a story about a miracle, although I do believe it was a miracle. I grew up in a church that taught me that actually this wasn't a miracle. The disciples just went in amongst the people and encouraged people to share the things that they had. And so this is an example of how important it is to share. No, this is a miracle. This is a divinely wrought, supernaturally ordained 
development of enough food to feed people that would otherwise be impossible except for God's miraculous provision. But it is not ultimately, I believe, or fundamentally in Mark, certainly in the other Gospels, a story about the feeding of the 5,000 people. It's a story about leadership and the lack of leadership in the disciples and we'll see also in other leadership in Israel and Jesus presenting himself as the perfect leader. Let's take a look at our text and see how the story goes. First of all, the apostles are returning in verse 30 to Jesus. Now, where are they returning from? Well, if you turn back a page, you can see they're returning in Mark 6, verse 7. He calls the 12 and begins to send them out two by two. It's a very smart strategy for missions and ministry. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charges them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. All this changes, by the way, when, he, when he's preparing to go to the cross. He gives them new instructions to be much more well provided for in his physical absence. That's an interesting contrast. You read the beginning, this uh, it's kind of a ministry internship, and then the end. Then he says, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there, verse 10 of Mark 6. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust on your feet as a testimony against them. Ministry involves both blessing and cursing. It involves both, both bringing God's grace and bringing God's judgment. And when, it, when the grace of God is not received, he's instructing them to tell them that they're essentially confronting eternity itself. And this shaking the dust off is a, it's a Jewish custom, but it's a, it's a deeply religious gesture, which we're, we're well to remember in our ministry today. Verse 12, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they did. Demons flew out the door, and the sick were healed, and, and so forth. And then look at verse 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Now, why does Mark put the story about King Herod and ultimately the death of John the Baptist in the middle of the student teaching experience, this ministry internship, and then the feeding of the 5,000. Let's go back to our text, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Here's the explanation. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. This is a busy day they've had, or a series of days, weeks perhaps, and there are lots of interaction. They say that when you do people work, it exhausts you, it drains you, and if you're a teacher or you work with people all day, you know that sometimes you just want to chill out and not deal or talk with anybody. So maybe Jesus saw that in them. He certainly sees the importance of eating. That's a, it's a hint of what's to come. He says they didn't have even time to eat. Have you ever worked through lunch? work through lunch and dinner. <laughs> There's lots to be done. There's more to be done than they can possibly do. They were working dawn to dusk and they were exhausted. And Jesus saw that and he's, he's inviting them to come away by yourselves, verse 31, to a desolate place and rest a while. I believe it's a genuine invitation, but I believe he has more in mind than actually meets the eye. I believe that Jesus knows what's going to happen I believe that he is inviting them 
into an experience in which they are going to find out that they are ill-prepared for the ministry that's before them because they don't understand what their job really is. So let's continue. What does it say? So they go away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Verse 32. So there's a lake, Galilee. This is around the area of Galilee. They're always traveling across this lake. And some people, it says in verse 33, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot ahead of them to the place that they were going. They got there before they got there. And so Jesus, when they land, there's a giant crowd waiting for them in their retreat center. (laughs) I love it. So be careful when you go on vacation not to go on vacation from the Lord. Church is a priority. Devotions are a priority. You may be tired, but God wants you to constantly walk with him. I think that's part of what we're seeing here anyway a little bit. So then what happens? Jesus goes ashore. He steps out of the boat. He sees the great crowd, and he has compassion on them. The Lord Jesus Christ is a compassionate Savior. Isn't that wonderful? He looks at the crowd. He loves them. He pities them. He cares for them. In his divine nature, you know he knows them. He knows their thoughts as God. As man, he feels their pain. He has compassion on them. But we're told exactly why he's had compassion on them. All all those things are true. But what does the text say is the exact reason why he had compassion on them? Look at it. It says he has compassion on them because... They are like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus pities them because they're leaderless. If they didn't need a leader, he wouldn't pity them. At least Mark wouldn't have put it that way. If they had a leader, he wouldn't pity them. But they not only need a leader, and they don't have a leader. And so he pities them. He has compassion on them. It's a terrible thing to need leadership and not have leadership. Now, leadership is a, is a, is a buzzword, perhaps, to, to need to be led, to need to be told what to do, to, to need to be told the difference between right and wrong, to need to have an example, a mentor, a father, a mother, to need care, provision, kindness, gentleness, protection, to need that. They need that. He looks on the crowd and he sees a, a crowd of at least 5,000 men. We read that at the end. There's, five, so there's many more than 5,000 people there. He's defining their identity. They're sheep. Sheep need shepherds. And he's pitying them because they are sheep without a shepherd. Then what happens? How does he address these leaderless sheep? What does the text say? He begins to teach them. He doesn't feed them right away. Leadership for Jesus begins with teaching. He gives them information, didactic, 
It's a lecture. There probably were questions, but Jesus is very much the master teacher here. He's holding court. He's speaking. They're listening. They're leaderless. They need to be told. They need to be taught. They need things explained to them. And in compassion, he begins to address their leaderlessness, their shepherdlessness, by teaching them. It says, I love this, many things. We don't know what the sermon was about. I'm sure various parts of the gospel gather up some of these teachings and, and give, it to, give it to us. And now it gets late. <laughs> and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a, a desolate place and you've been preaching for quite a while now. Now this is interesting that I'm giving this sermon this morning about Jesus giving a long sermon. I think that's very, very helpful. If you don't know that story, I'll tell you later. So the disciples are full of advice for the master teacher, the shepherd, the one who had compassion on these people. They think they're being helpful and they say, send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, isn't that nice? The disciples, they're not upset about losing their retreat, are they? They, they had some R&R plan. They're not upset about that, are they? They just, they just care about the hunger of the people. No, I think they're upset. I think... I think this is quite a selfish thing. I think they're thinking in a completely human way. This is Jesus, what they've seen already. They've seen him raise the dead, calm the storm, cast out demons. I mean, come on, guys. How many times do we need to do this until you get the message? But they have good ideas. It's, it's like uh, my namesake, Philip, in John 14. He says, let, let me explain what the guys are looking for. Just show us the Father, Jesus, and that's all we're really asking for. You know, eminently reasonable. And Jesus looks at Philip in John 14, he says, Have I been with you so long that you still don't understand? I am the way and the truth and the life. That's what he says. This is exactly the same thing. Jesus we have a plan, you know, we love you and we have a wonderful plan for your ministry. Send them away, it's time to be done, we need to get ready, make preparations, and so forth. And so Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Now this is a key verse for understanding the whole of this chapter. Jesus is rejected in his own hometown, Mark 6, 1 through 6. He then sends out into the regions of Galilee, the twelve into a, an internship, a ministry internship. They're casting out demons. I read that for you. And then we have this interlude where Herod, we're told about Herod and the death of John the Baptist. And then the disciples come back in verse 30 and they're telling Jesus everything that happened. It's a wonderful experience. And then Jesus has compassion on the crowd. Unlike the disciples, Jesus has compassion on the crowd. He teaches them because they're leaderless and he knows that, they're, that they need the truth of God in their lives. And the disciples cut it short because they're concerned about food. And Jesus looks at them and he says, you give them something to eat. What does he mean by this? Jesus means by this that their job was to feed the people. They had everything they needed. They should have known, in other words. And I think Jesus took them into the wilderness 
on purpose to highlight the remaining imperfections in their ministry training. The, disciple, the feeding of the 5,000 is not about the people getting food. It's about the disciples realizing that they had no idea what their job was, which is to feed the people, to shepherd the people, to lead the people who are sheep without a shepherd. And they are going to be called in not very long to lead the people in Jesus' absence by the power of his Holy Spirit and with his blessing. You feed them. It's sort of like a parent giving a child an impossible task for the purpose of teaching that child an important lesson for the rest of his or her life. And you think, well, that's not very nice to tell a child to do something that he or she can't do. Well, the child already knows how to do it. You see, that's the problem. So Jesus is confronting their unbelief. He's confronting their worldliness. He's confronting their earthly-mindedness, their, their human thinking with a task that calls them out of themselves, out of their resources, out of their comfort zone. Am I, am I describing something that is familiar to you, Christian? You give them something to eat. Well, I don't have anything to give them to eat. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? This is the way the Lord works in our lives. He takes us to something we think means one thing, a situation develops, we're left absolutely impotent and powerless, we have no resources, and Jesus calls us to do it anyway. And we're dumbstruck once again. This is the Christian life. These disciples need to learn, and they haven't learned it yet, because look at what the text says next. And they said to him, my Bible has a little note here, with sarcasm and disrespect. Not really, but that's what it is. Listen to what they say to him. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? 200 denarii is like a year's wages. These men are not respecting Jesus at this moment. They are not trusting him. They don't believe him and they think he's wrong. And they don't have the guts to tell it to him, so they ask a question, which is essentially as impossible as the question that they're asking him. The difference is he is in a position to ask that question and they're not. So they're, they're quite disrespectful, cheeky, and he says, I think this is gracious of Jesus. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, so they, this is, I think, how many loaves do you have amongst the 12 of you? That's what that means. So, you know, no refrigerators. So you have a pouch, and in that pouch you probably carry a loaf of bread because you're going into the wilderness. No restaurants, no Uber Eats, right? That's relevant. So they checked their pouches. A couple of guys had nibbled on their bread, and they put them together, and they got about five. And a few fish. And then what does Jesus say? Verse 39. And he commanded them all to sit down on groups on the green grass. Don't you love the detail? The green grass. And there it is. I'm looking out the window. Isn't that great? So he went out to a field, something like that. The grass is green. Mark wants us to know that it's green grass. He sat them down on the green grass and he divides them. This is very smart. He divides them into groups by hundreds and by fifties. It's orderly, it's logical, makes sense, it's what any one of us would have done. 
After taking the five loaves and the two fish, what does he do? He looks up to heaven and says a blessing. So this is what that looks like. He looks up to heaven. Now what a gesture. The ordinary posture for a Jewish rabbi in prayer is head bowed. And if you're, you, you've, you've learned this, right children? Bow your heads, fold your hands, close your eyes. That's mostly because your mom doesn't want you messing with things on the table at dinner. But fold your hands, bow your heads, close your eyes. But Jesus opens his eyes and looks up to heaven. Now why does he do that? Why does he pray in this special way? That's where the bread comes from. Now bread comes from grain which grows in the ground. Not this bread. This bread comes from heaven. The bread we normally eat comes from the earth. Jesus' bread comes from heaven. It's not magic bread. It's regular bread, but it's a miraculous provision. Top down, not bottom up. The disciples were not looking up to heaven, were they? Where were they looking for bread? Looking in their pockets, pulling out, you know, what have they got everywhere? What have they got? Nothing. Five loaves, a couple of fish. And Jesus looks to where bread really comes from. Where is that? Heaven. And so what does the story say? Let's keep going five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down. They sit down in groups. He takes five loaves. He looks up to heaven, said a blessing, breaks the loaves, gives them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. So I'm trying to imagine you've got 12 disciples and two fish. Maybe the fish is is this big. I don't know. Maybe it's a small fish. But that's six pieces. It's probably six pieces per fish. Each disciple has a, has a little piece of fish and, I don't know, a couple pieces of bread. And they're looking down at it. And we don't know what happens next. Did they just start, you know, growing in their hands? Nothing's impossible with God, so that's possible. Is it that they put them in their pouch and they each started going to these groups of hundreds and fifties and like Elijah's oil they keep pulling out it's like I don't know where this is coming from but it keeps coming so I'm going to keep serving until it's gone the story doesn't tell us it doesn't want us to wants us to wonder about it but not to worry about it what we're supposed to see is that it kept coming so that every single man all 5,000 men wives and children weren't, weren't numbered specifically, but I imagine they were there. It keeps coming until everyone had enough. They all ate and were satisfied. It isn't just that they, you know, if there's a tray of lasagna and a lot of people, you start taking small pieces. Because, you know, you don't want someone, the guest especially, to go without. Well, this wasn't one of those situations. Everyone had big pieces and To prove the point, I can see Jesus smiling at this point. There's 12 baskets of broken pieces left over. Where does the number 12 come from? Hello? 12 disciples, right? 12 disciples, 12 baskets. They had nothing. Not only are everyone fed, but the disciples are fed. They got their retreat after all. 
This is good news. Jesus is teaching the disciples about leadership. He's teaching them what it means to be a pastor, to be a father, to be a mother, to be a teacher. And in the case of King Herod, who is a very bad leader, he's teaching them what it means to be a ruler or a king. He looked on them with compassion. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he feeds them after teaching them because that's what leaders do. 11 o'clock? Is that when we're done? We started at 10, right? So I haven't used my notes. I've preached this three times now. Let's look at some applications. Moms and dads, boys and girls, you are sheep. You need leadership. So if you think you don't, you're lying to yourself, you're deceiving yourself, you're arrogant, and you need to be humbled. That's the truth. And that's actually the good news. The bad news is you probably don't believe me until you figure it out yourself. That's the bad news. And if you don't believe that, you're really in bad shape. But in time you'll know. In time you'll know. There's nothing, nothing like experience that will teach you that. And if the Lord loves you, as my wife has always taught our children, he will pursue you and give you many, many opportunities to learn the lesson that you need his leadership in your life. If he loves you. If he doesn't, he's just going to leave you alone. And you're going to call that freedom, and you're going to think you're doing quite well, but you're not. So you don't need to believe it. The Bible says it doesn't matter if you believe it. You are a sheep. That's it. So the strange thing is you don't need to pray to receive this message in your heart. I mean, you do, but whether you receive it in your heart or not, I'm telling you, God says you're a sheep. You need a shepherd. So that's an application. The second application. If you're a leader, which is all of you, because even a, even a little girl or a little boy has friends. Don't you have friends? A child, a middle school student? Do your friends always do the right thing? No, they don't. So what should you do when your friends don't do the right thing? You need to lead them. If you're a leader, a child or an adult, old or young, women or man, uh, a public figure, a private figure, an upfront leader, a first chair leader like myself, a pastor, important job, a second chair leader, someone who doesn't, doesn't get in front, someone in the back. You're a leader. Jesus calls you to reach within and find that you have nothing to offer except what he provides from heaven. That's Christ. The leadership that the people in your life need is Jesus Christ. Do they need advice on how to find a job, how to write a resume? Yes. Do they need tips on how to study for a test? Sure. Do they need advice on how to deal with uh, an ungodly husband or a difficult wife, whatever the case may be? Yes. All that's helpful. Do they need, I don't know, 
tips on how to invest your money. Sure, fine, great. Who to vote for? Okay. All these things are helpful things to talk about. But at the end of the day, people's problem is not that. People's problem is Christ and the absence of Christ and his leadership and his lordship in our lives. That's the bottom line. So if in your leadership, you have to be subtle, depending on your calling, your vocation, the sphere of your, your workplace, things can be difficult if you talk explicitly about Jesus. I understand you have to be crafty and wise about these things at times, but there comes a point where it's either Jesus or you, and you need to serve Christ and not yourself. And that's true in marriage. That's true as children to your parents. Children, there comes a time in your life when it's Christ, not your parents. As an employer, as a boss, if you're in politics, if you're in education, at some point you will be confronted with this and you must look up to heaven and trust God to provide from heaven, heavenly bread, all that you need because you don't have it in your bag. That's an application. And finally, if you're like Herod, who is a wicked, sinful, selfish, debauched man who threw a party and made eyes at his daughter-in-law at the advice of his wife who he was not allowed to have according to the Bible. He is a wicked man. And then listened to the advice of this girl who asked that a godly prophet be put to death. Beware. You've been given a role as a shepherd and you are violating every commandment in the book, all 10 of them, with the way that you're living. And God will call you to an account. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. It's an amazing story. So much here that we could talk about, but we've really focused as a congregation on leadership. Our need for leadership, Christian leadership, the leadership of Christ first and foremost and other godly men and women in our lives. But also, Lord, our need to be good leaders, the kind of leaders that love you, that have been washed by your blood, that know that everything that we have is a gift and take it into account as we move into the lives of the people that we care for. Lord, make us godly leaders like yourself. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.